a Podcast One production. Welcome to The Alternative Truth, a series where we debunk the myths and spin on health and wellbeing. Hi, my name's Mailing Dory, a lifestyle curious medical doctor, public health expert, and strategist. One thing I've learned is that what we think is right when it comes to health often isn't. So I've set out to talk with some of the world's most esteemed medical experts and frontline wellbeing innovators to find out the alternative truth. In this episode, we talked about an increasingly popular high-fat way of eating known as the keto diet. Our first guest was Scott Gooding, a well-known Sydney-based nutritionist, trainer and best-selling author. He took us on an inside journey into how he came to this approach. He also spoke about what he's discovered on the road to helping hundreds of people regain holistic well-being. We were then joined by Melanie McGrice, 2018's Dietitian of the Year. As an advanced practising dietitian, Melanie provided her expert view and an alternative perspective on what this high-fat, low-carb way of eating really means. First up, we were joined by Scott Gooding, former semi-professional soccer player, cook and founder of the Scott Gooding Project and also wellness platform Recondition Me. More recently, Scott's the author of best-selling health guide, The Keto Diet, and the Keto Diet Cookbook. Scott Gooding, what exactly is the Keto Diet? Oh, straight in with the uh, the big tough questions, hey? Yeah. <laughs> um, basically, I-, I guess your listeners need to know and have comfort in that it's nothing new. It's something that's been evident for our physiology for you know hundreds of thousands of years, but I guess it's new to our current food and nutrition landscape. So basically you're getting most of your calories from fats. So there's a certain macro split, so your macronutrients, fat, protein, carbs, and they should be around 80% from fat, about 15 20% from protein and the remainder from carbs. And then what that does, that metabolizes your fat in your liver and it produces ketones that become available for every uh, cell in the body. So you can get into a a metabolic state called ketosis through manipulating your macros, like I just described, so a very low-carb intake, or through calorie restriction, so i.e. fasting. So what's the big aha? Why have people picked this up and returned to it at this time in history? I think it's a case of, generally speaking, people are becoming more health-aware and, I guess, learning that perhaps the last 70 years, the current guidelines, if you like, haven't served us all that well. You know, there's this specific sort of dogma that we've been fed through doctors, nutritionists, dietitians, that we should eat a certain way. And the cold hard facts are that we're getting sicker. You know, we've got all this amazing advancements in medical technology, diagnosing and and all that, but we're not we're not improving our health, we're actually deteriorating, we're spiraling down. So I, I, I guess people are starting to look laterally at, at, at perhaps other alternatives. And, you know, we, we're sort of knee deep currently in ancestral health and ancestral nutrition. We've had many years looking at the paleo diet, many years looking at the primal diet, 
and keto is just, uh, I guess, a natural evolution from those diets. I mean, from a purist perspective, when you look at both those diets, be it the paleo or the keto, there's massive overlap. So it, it, it's not a huge leap or a, a huge sort of um, step away from those diets. It, it's, just, it's just a natural evolution. But I think it's, it's born out of frustration. It's born out of, you know, p- people wanting to improve their health and thinking laterally. You know, fr- frustration is a, is a huge driver. Well, I'm fascinated to know how you came to it because I know when we met, you talked about your um, move from being sort of a professional sports person and a trainer. Is that frustration something you saw in the people you were training? I mean, I was lucky enough to, to be a PT for 15 years and, you know, I, I evolved, my philosophy evolved vastly over that over that time period. But look, if I had my time again, I would do it so, so differently. I, I now really sort of have come to grips with that it's there's lots of facets and factors and aspects of life that make up your health and, and well-being. And it's not just uh, exercise prescription and movement prescription. There's so much more to it. You know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, me personally, I thought the more I trained, the harder I trained, the healthier I'd be, which actually kind of led me to get a pretty serious injury that actually led me to this path of discovering food to be therapeutic, medicinal. Uh, And at that point, I thought, right, you know, I've used my body as a a case study. I've had amazing results. I need to share this. And and that's kind of how it uh, all started for me. And since then, have you continued to train some people or have you completely moved on? Because I'm just curious to know whether you've had the chance to sort of one-on-one try the keto diet, which you've articulated so well in your book, on living, breathing clients and what have you seen? Yeah, I I, I mean, I, I'm not PTing anymore, um, so I don't have that kind of one-on-one exchange with people and I haven't done that for a couple of years. But I, I'm, a, I'm a health coach as well, so I do have clients that I see, albeit via Skype or email. And I guess to my point, you realise that there's so many different silos that make up health and well-being. It's not just exercise. And the biggest one that we have control over is nutrition. Even if you can't control the sort of other drivers of inflammation, albeit work, uh, family, relationships, the one that we have the most control over is is nutrition. So, you know, what does that look like? Um, How can I manage that? How can I optimise that? So that's kind of where... I've been sitting and I've, I've had some great results on my own platform, Recondition Me, which isn't, the, the end game for Recondition Me isn't necessarily ketosis, but it's certainly low carb. I mean, if you selected certain meals within the program, you could, you could very easily slip into ketosis. But I, I don't really talk about ketosis on the program. It's more about reducing inflammation. So what does your nutrition look like? What does your lifestyle look like? And in actual fact, my first book, The Keto Diet, I, d- I didn't want to reference keto and I didn't want diet to be on the cover. It was more about inflammation. I don't really talk about ketosis until sort of chapter three or four because to me, you've got to build this foundation. There's no sense in striving for ketosis or a cleanse or a detox or a, a radical diet, whatever shape or form that takes if for the other 50 weeks of the year you're eating crap 
So to me, it's the space. It's almost like the space in between your detox and your cleanse and your diets that is more important because that makes up your your master plan. You know, your health is determined by what you do most of the time over the longest period of time. So I acknowledge that I've just written two books about the keto diet, and I do think it has life enhancing benefits. But for for most of us, it's what we do outside of those little sort of health kickstarts or little health regimes that we might jump in with both feet. It's it's the stuff in between those that is equally as important, if not more important. Is the keto diet, as you articulate it and in the cookbook, is that something that's sustainable for life, for every day, for these sort of habits you're suggesting we cultivate? Yes, it could be. Is it necessary? Arguably not. The thing is that, you know, I, I could probably do it. I don't choose to, but when, I, when I'm when i not in ketosis, I would sort of be sitting on the fence most of the time. And it, and it kind of, the times that I'm not in ketosis would be times that I'm training. In conjunction with my fitness goals, I will consume carbs, but it's an appropriate amount of carbs for my, my fitness goals. So when I'm not in ketosis, my diet doesn't look that radically different. So can people adhere to it? Long term, well, I guess it depends on their starting point, uh, what their end game is. But really, it, it just comes down to your master plan. I think that's where the gold is. If you think about health and longevity and cellular health, that is measured on what you do most of the time. If you want to do uh, a detox or get into ketosis, that that's great. That's an admirable thing to do because you want you're, you're striving for cellular health. You're striving to increase your health and, and well-being. But there's no sense in doing that, even if you do it with gusto. If at the end of the two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, whatever it may be, that you revert back to you, the Western diet or you know e- eating crap. Take us through exactly what can keto do for you. And then what should you be doing the rest of the time? Keto can do a number of things. So again, it kind of depends what your starting point is. But essentially being in that metabolic state, ketosis will elicit a number of physiological changes, adaptations in your body. So it will be neural, uh, simulate neural biogenesis, mitochondrial biogenesis. So it kind of triggers this physiological life enhancing benefits. Uh, it'll stimulate autophagy, so your body's uh, ability, natural ability to detoxify cells and get rid of dead cell components, and it'll help to lower inflammation. So that that's great. You Can know, we say and, it's and, anti-aging? Yeah, well, you, you're getting to the, the smallest components of your, your body. You're getting down to cellular health at that point. So if your mitochondria are robust, uh, highly functioning, you've got lots of them, and they're all doing what they're supposed to do, then you're gearing yourself up for success. You're priming yourself for longevity. It's when you compromise that, you compromise your, your cellular health, you compromise your mitochondria, that, that's when you start to get, you know, you, you're not performing optimally, you know, you might get some condition or disease or... That, that, this is really important. When you strip it all back, when you remove the buzzwords and the diet and all these sort of trending buzzwords, when you remove all that, all we should be occupied with if your end game is to be healthy is minimising, mitigating, reducing inflammation. So what does the, the diet look like? Well, it's got to be heavily plant-based. The thing is with the keto diet is that there's this sort of misconception that 
it's you know a high high protein which it's not it's it's moderate protein but there's also this sort of adaptation to the diet or sort of um it's been morphed into another version it's called a, a dirty keto which means that you can get into ketosis but you're getting your macronutrients there's no sort of respect for the foods that you're eating but, but this is the really interesting thing about um, society you know there's this great diet that's come out that's life enhancing it's got some great therapeutic benefits but we'll take that society takes that and we'll we'll scrunch it up and shift it and move it until it becomes something not what it's meant to be but it fits with us our indulgences and our likes so you could you know have my approach which is all about real food heavily plant based or you can go down the 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 route of dirty keto which to me kind of defeats the purpose of the what the, is the in diet. it what's a dirty keto diet There'd be lots of dairy, you know, there'd be lots of high-fat items that possibly aren't that inherently good for you. If I'm going to Google dirty keto, what's <laughs> going to come up? Come on, Scott, I'm sure you've Googled it. <laughs> I haven't, but I've, I've like, searched on Instagram and it's, you know, those filthy uh, burgers with heaps of that processed cheese. But that's alluring for a lot of people. That gets a lot of likes, that gets a lot of shares. And so it kind of grows, you know, like, and, and so I'm over here trying to promote a real food version. And so suddenly I get thrown in with this sort of dirty version and, you know, each to their own. Um, but I, I just find it a very interesting take on us as a, as a, as a society, you know, that we kind of morph this diet to fit with our indulgences. One thing I think that's very confusing for people is the keto diet comes on the off the back of, you know, a myriad of confusing recommendations from the Heart Foundation, mm. Dietetics Association, the Pyramid, the Mediterranean diet, everyone from Dr. Oz to Oprah has been on board. I mean, what what would you say to those people that are just going, come on, not another fad? <laughs> come on, Scott, why should we buy your book? Again, it, it, it's stripping it right back. You know, I'm going to throw my public, publisher under the, the bus here a little bit, but as I said, I didn't want to call it the keto diet. I wanted it to be a book about inflammation and keto comes in around chapter three and it's just one tool to enable you to lower inflammation. We do want quick, easy solutions to health and the simple fact is that it doesn't really work that way. You know, people want to get healthy by the weekend or the end of the season or the end of the year. We can relieve ourselves of a lot of guilt when you factor in this master plan. Your master plan, depending where, where you are in your, your lifespan, might be 30, 40, 60 years. When you think about that, that it's what I do most of the time over the next 40 or 50, 60 years, then when you have the occasional meal that doesn't fit in with your framework or the occasional week that doesn't fit in with your framework or you don't get to the gym today or you don't get to the gym for the next three weeks, it's not that big a deal. And so we can relieve ourselves of a bit of guilt around that because that's just, that's not helping the cause. And you see people getting really stressed, agitated when they're not hitting goals, you know, like tomorrow. 
because things take a long time to change. We take a long time to adapt. We take a long time to unlearn patterns of behavior we have around health and the way we see food and dieting and self-esteem. All that stuff's like psychology, right? And mindset, that, that, that stuff takes a hell of a long time to forge new positive patterns of behavior. You're not going to change by the weekend. You're not going to change those in three or four weeks. It takes preparation, planning, hard work. So the idea that we can get fit and healthy by the click of the fingers is just, you know, kind of preposterous. Well, Scott Gooding, I, I wanted to thank you for providing the voice of reason, or as I like to say, summer's always coming. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. <laughs> so thank you so much for your time and shedding light on what is certainly a trending topic. Thank you. All no right, Thanks for having me. Whilst it would be easy to pigeonhole Scott into an industry that's rife with short-term promises, I was taken aback by his level of wisdom. More than once, he emphasised the importance of stress, de-emphasised diet as a single solution, and talked about the critical importance of taking a holistic approach. He spoke to his departure from training hard being enough to get you there, and also the pressure of the press to speak to what is fashionable over what might have less sizzle but actually be right. Scott did leave me wondering, are you arguing both sides of the fence? And is this really something I can do some of the time, or at a moderate level? Our next guest, Melanie McGrice, is a specialist fertility and prenatal dietitian. Beyond achieving a master's in dietetics, she's contributed to a myriad of peak bodies, including as chairperson to the obesity interest group of the Dietitians Association of Australia. No surprises, Melanie was crowned 2018's Dietitian of the Year. We're going to dive right in the deep end. Tell me, what exactly is the keto diet and how is it coming in the door in your world? <laughs> well, a keto diet is just another form of a low-carbohydrate diet, essentially. So it's cutting out um, carbohydrate-rich foods, such as fruit and dairy and grains and legumes. For me, as a fertility and prenatal dietitian, I come across it quite regularly because weight is one of the things that can impact fertility. And so I I see in a lot of chat groups and so forth, people um, recommending a keto diet to help with fertility. So I did a systematic review on it to see what the evidence actually says. So what exactly did that review reveal? Well, it was actually quite interesting. Um, and I might just start by saying I am not on one side of the fence or the other. I do use keto diets with my clients, with some clients, but then I have other clients that I convert from being on a keto diet or some type of low carbohydrate diet, um, actually back onto carbohydrates again. And I really believe that it's all about individually tailoring, that there's no one size fits all. It has to be the right diet for the right person at the right time of their life. So back to my research, what it found is that we know very clearly that if you're overweight, that losing weight can help to optimize fertility. But the low carbohydrate diets, there was a, a couple of studies that found, well, one in particular that found that it actually decreased the number of eggs collected before IVF. And a second study that found that Although women who went onto a low-carbohydrate diet lost weight and improved their fertility, they actually didn't have as good pregnancy outcomes as women who lost weight just through um, a healthy eating and lifestyle. So 
Reading between the lines in the research, I believe that a low-carb keto diet can be beneficial early on to help reduce insulin resistance and, um, you know, helping people get back onto uh, whole foods and like there's lots of advantages of it, but I don't recommend it for women um, in the weeks leading up to conception, particularly if they're going to undergo IVF. So just for people who, and I think this is a very, very fine line, given that we've got a positive body image movement underway, Mm. what is the harm of having that excess body weight in relation to your fertility and your nutritional status? How does it all sort of stitch together? Yeah, and it is really tricky um, because, and again, I think that's where individually tailoring is so important. So with the um, healthy weight at every size type of movement and so forth. Uh, Again, I look at every client as an individual. So for some people and some places in their life, I believe that that's exactly the approach that we should be taking is focusing on feeling more happy about your body and just focusing on eating good nutritious food and not losing any weight and just really just helping to optimize your diet. But for other people um, at certain times of their life, they do need to be looking at weight loss. So again, we need to be individually tailoring rather than having a one size fits all approach. It's a very tricky message, I'm, I, I feel, because you know we've had people in here talking about hormones and cancer and now fertility. I mean, in terms of its its role in weight loss, it seems to be becoming very trendy at the moment. What's sort of your view as a accredited dietitian and what's the sort of stance of the, I guess, your profession? So in terms of my profession, I think um, health professionals, the same as uh, individuals, have varying opinions depending upon what their area of research is. But at the end of the day, one of the key differences about accredited practicing dietitians is that number one, we're evidence-based. And so we do go back to the research to have a look at what the research says. And secondly, is that we um, should be really focusing on that individually tailoring. So looking at each person and what their unique needs are, rather than having that one size fits all message to everybody. Given though that we have broadly in Australia, an obesity epidemic underway, Mm. and people are constantly looking for, I guess, solutions, Mm. is there anything we can learn from the effectiveness of the keto diet for that mass scale epidemic? Look, I don't know about for mass scale um, because there are some risks with it as well. One being that you're cutting out key core foods and a second one being that uh, the research tends to suggest that it may impact upon our gut microbiome. So the foods that are best for our gut microbiome uh, tend to be legumes, grains, um, starchy vegetables, fruits. So there is some potential risks with going on a keto diet compared to that traditional healthy eating model that we all know. But that's, like I said, that's not to say that in particular individuals that I don't recommend a keto diet because I think that you have to look at that individual and see what their goal is. Now, if I've got a client who, say, for example, is postmenopausal, has a really slow metabolic rate, uh, has pre-diabetes and osteoarthritis, um, she may be very appropriate person to put on a keto diet because losing weight with a regular healthy eating diet might be very difficult for her. Same type of thing again with my fertility clients. If I've got a client who is very overweight, um, is in her late 30s and about to undergo IVF and pay tens of thousands of dollars in six months time or even four months time, then doing a keto diet where we can get some fast weight loss off, I believe is very beneficial um, early on 
but then bringing back those grains and so forth again uh, in the three months prior to actually going through IVF. Crossing over to, say, the blokes, Mm. when might be something like a keto diet be appropriate or not appropriate? Yeah. Um, look, again, I think there are times when it's appropriate and I would say it's in those same types of time frames. So um, guys who are going for surgery, guys who are um, you know, going to be trying to conceive, guys who um, maybe have been newly diagnosed with some type of uh, medical condition where they need to lose weight quickly, times like that where rapid weight loss is important. Any times where the keto diet's harmful for men? That we know of? I would say, again, the same type of thing in that, uh, you know, the research shows that at the end of the day, when you look at the long-term studies, the one and two-year studies, whether somebody loses weight through a low-carbohydrate diet or whether they lose weight in the traditional type of model, um, including carbohydrates, at the end of the day, people tend to achieve a similar amount of weight loss in when you're looking at those one and two-year studies. But where I think those low-carb and keto diets are so beneficial is when people need rapid weight loss because that's when you achieve it a lot faster. So, Mel, one of the things you touched upon was this whole concept of a microbiome and the fact that some of the best foods to maintain our microbiome are legumes, grains and starchy veg. These are all the things that are sort of a bit off the list when it comes to a keto diet. And how are these foods, how do they play a role given that if you ask a paleo zealot, they're like, don't touch the grains. Yeah, well, our gut microbiome is essentially all of the bacteria in our body. And we have over a trillion bacteria in our body compared, to, which is so many more bacteria than we actually have cells. So it has a big impact on our health. Now, um, these carbohydrate foods are actually also known as prebiotic foods. So they actually feed the good bacteria. Um, so yeah, look, I absolutely think that, you know, legumes, grains, whole grains, um, fruit and starchy vegetables and dairy, um, I absolutely think that they're great for our gut microbiome and they are really healthy choices for most people. So in short, good bacteria need starch. Uh, in short, good bacteria is better off with starch. Got it. <laughs> so it's not often that we have Dietitian of the Year in the studio here. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to ask you the big question, which is when you're sitting out on the street and watching people go by as you enjoy your latte, how do you know if someone's actually well-nourished? Like, what do you look for? Oh, well, first of all, I don't really think about that when I'm sitting down uh, <laughs> having a latte in the street. Um, but if I was, I guess, what am I looking for? I'm looking for people who uh, have, I think, inner happiness goes a long way, um, a great healthy gut microbiome, no medical conditions that are limiting their ability to be able to do other things, and eating a really great nourishing diet. And in the, at the end of the day, I think that's how I would describe good health. So nothing to do with size, shape? Well, I, I definitely think those things play a role. You know, you can, I, I do, I've been asked by media questions before about uh, does what we eat on the inside impact upon our skin and hair and so forth? Well, yeah, it does. Absolutely. And I think that they're, you know, they're often symbols that we can utilise to help us tell the types of foods that people are eating. And yes, weight certainly does play a role in that the research shows that people who are in a healthy BMI, um, in inverted commas, are less likely to have chronic diseases than people who are of a healthy BMI. But um, at the end of the day, there are exceptions to the rule as well. 
Mel, thank you so much for your time and answering some very curly questions. Thank you so much for having me. Listening to both guests, what I realise when it comes to the keto diet is that there's so much about it that's a retake on an old way of eating, more or less a neo-modern version of Atkins with a new look and feel. More than this, I was also struck by the fact that neither party saw it as a way to eat all the time and that the reasons for this are complex. They relate to inflammation, bowel health, being social and the value of a diverse diet. What did surprise me from Melanie was the very intricate relationship our weight and fat intake has with hormones and fertility. In short, I think the connection between our macronutrient intake, body composition and overall health is a fascinating one. Sugar is clearly the enemy. Does that make fat our new friend? Where I wasn't really sure is what's truly in it for the walking well. What can the keto diet add to our lives? Thanks for listening and join me in the rest of the series where we dive into whether you can hack your cancer odds with lifestyle, the benefits of psychiatry versus holistic treatments, the pros and cons of eating animals, and what works in the world of beauty. Alternative Truth is recorded in the studios of Podcast One Australia. Executive producer is Grant Tothill. The producer is Sarah Greenberg. Audio producer, Darcy Thompson. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au. 